Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humble hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and iniquities and shortcomings and transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Yes, Lord. Lord, I'm grateful for this time with my sisters that you've given us this chance, Lord, to just get into your word, just to, you know, get broken down, Lord, spiritually, to be built up, Lord, spiritually, that we might just be a reflection of what you have called us to be. And I pray over those, Lord, who couldn't be here today, Lord, I pray that you watch over them, that you guide them, that you keep them, that you... Keep them from all distractions, Lord, concerning this world, because the Lord is revealing, Lord, that the enemy is trying so hard to pick us off by one by one. He's trying to let us believe that there are things that are far more important than others. And I just pray, Lord, that you bring your people into a place of soberness, that they might see where we are and what this thing is about. I pray, Lord, that you also make our hearts your throne that you may sit in them, that you may dictate to us what we need to know, that yes, we Jesus. might do the things that are pleasing in your eyes, and that we may have a true recognize we may recognize truly, Lord, what your perfect will is for your people. Yes, so I just pray, Lord, with this message that you fine tune us, Lord, that you groom us, that you shape us, that you mold us, that we might do all your righteous works. Yes, I pray that no man's heart be heard tonight. I pray that no flesh be glorified. But I pray in Jesus' name that through your spirit of teaching that we will have great revelation and understanding, Lord, even to the the ability to repent of the things that we might do that are contrary to your word. So, Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred. And fear, doubt, and unbelief, Lord. And I want to pray that you bind the spirit of suicide tonight, Lord. For it is moving amongst the youth. And children are not finding reasons to be here. But we know that there is a huge reason, Lord. Because our whole purpose of existing is to know you, Lord. So I pray against that filthy spirit. I pray that you shine new light and hope into your vessels. That they may go and proclaim the word which is the gospel, the good news, that people may see you don't have to live like this. You don't have to perceive life as you have. You don't have to take the broken heart, Lord, and and live with it, but that we know with you comes all healing, comes all understanding, comes all uh, freedom and liberty to do the things that you have called us to. So we just pray, Lord, for more time. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. Thank you, Lord. For you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and faithful, just and true and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask, Lord, that you do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
All right, so tonight's study is going to be called Idle Words and Foolish Talking. And this is one of those things where, man, you know when you hear something that um, you think you know, and then the Lord reveals it to you that you need to know it, and then you get to that place where you're like, well, shut my mouth. <laughs> you know, Let me see it the way that God wants me to see it and understand it the way that it has. So as we go through this um, study tonight, we're going to also read a chapter out of A.A. A. Allen's book called The uh, Price of God's Miracle Working Power. And many people don't know nor understand that what we say out of our mouths can even shut that door from, you know, God working with us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even though we might read and we understand that God's grace is, you know, it endures. And, you know, we he's always given us things that we don't deserve and how we need it to be able to be sanctified and to be cleansed and to make it into the kingdom of heaven because we have so many flaws and things that we've lived with for so long that he wants to take from us. But we've got to understand that Man, you know, God's, I mean, he can be really offended, you know, with us throughout the day. There are so many things that we do to him that are so unclean, but he just gives us a chance to recognize what these things are that we may change and that we might grow. So he's even showing us that the mouth, the tongue, as much as we might have talked about it before, hopefully tonight we'll have even greater understanding as to why it's important that we don't open our mouths and just, you know, recklessness or carelessness, that we truly understand that we are the temple of the living God. And what he calls us to do with this mouth is to glorify him. Of course, we communicate with others, but how do we communicate? What is it that we say? Are we uplifting or are we just every time we speak, it's something negative about someone else? The Lord has shown me all this stuff and he's still working with me because I'm not going to make the excuse, the excuse and say, well, being a New Yorker, we just tell it like it is. You know what? That's no excuse because you've got to really think about what you say. And we really should be talking a lot less. I'm recognizing, man, even with your mouth throughout the day, you've got to be really careful what you speak. And I'm even seeing, even in terms of careers, we've got to be careful because, you know, a lot of Christians want to be lawyers. And, you know, I see some of the benefits. Maybe they may be able to inject the word of God into it and, and make things happen. But I'm even finding out that, you know, in many cases, lawyers are liars. Lawyers tell stories. Lawyers are witchcraft workers, okay, because they're able to manipulate stories and to get people to think a certain way to meet their agenda. And you know that a lawyer will also defend a guilty person. Mm -hmm. Okay, a criminal. All right. And that's not what God is for. But I'm just saying, even in terms of profession, we got to be really careful what we speak or what we say. Uh, big examples of this is I remember for a while in my class, they used to do the Pledge of Allegiance. And I remember I wouldn't do it. You know, I'm like, I'm not saying it. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to be in here. And I explained why I wouldn't. And, you know, prayed against it. And eventually it stopped that they don't say it there anymore. But even the Pledge of Allegiance, something that just sounds so simple, can really cause your mouth to align with something that is against God. Because how does it go? I pledge allegiance to the flag, okay, of the United States of America. Um, what is it? <laughs> I don't even remember. 
but it's like to the United States of America uh, for the Republic. Huh? Which it stands. By which it stands, one nation under God. Uh, what is it? Indivisible or divisible something with liberty and justice for all. But the thing is, is when you look at what's being said, that means you pledge allegiance to the flag that has nothing to do with God. They, they promote homosexuality here. They promote abortion. They promote evolution. They promote everything that you can think about in this country. They even promote, you know, shutting down Christians. They took God and prayer out of schools. There's so many different things that they've done that you really got to say to yourself, I got to be careful what I say. I can't pledge allegiance to this because it's what the masses are doing. And I remember that teaching we did about um, a year, a year and a month ago about uh, patriotism is satanic that we even discovered that our Pledge of Allegiance used to be like, you know, the Hail Hitler thing when it says, raise your right hand. It was really, um, you know, promoting communism or Nazism, which was in line with Hitler. So these are things we just got to be aware of. You know, we should always be prayerful and ask the Lord to show us what we need to do. Uh, because if we don't, we can find ourselves aligned with things and what we think are idle words are not with God. Mm -hmm. All right. I tell you, it never fails. Just when I'm getting ready to, um, you know, do something with the Lord, my sinus starts acting up. So just the enemy again, we'll just overlook him. You know, but what we proclaim over ourselves, what we say and what we do, we've got to really be careful because the tongue, you know, it, it can really put blessing or cursing. It can really do things to you that you wouldn't imagine. And it also with your mouth can give the enemy a legal right to live in your life. Mm -hmm. And that's why when you tell people about witchcraft and they'll tell you, well, if you don't believe in it, nothing will happen. That's a lie. Yeah. Because what you turn to or away from can either be a blessing or, or can fortify you to keep you outside of the confines of the enemy or you can welcome the enemy just by just by saying something stupid like let's just say the devil tries to work his way into the ministry but he sees we're all on one accord we love one another and we we believe in uplifting the lord and praising him the devil will try and put a thought into maybe one person's mind you know to get them to think a certain way and if he can get them to get frustrated to the point of saying something that can cause discord then the enemy does have a right to come in, mm -hmm. okay? And he can remain there to do as much damage as possible unless we understand about this legal right. We did a full teaching on that. And what you allow the enemy to do, he will do. And some people will say, well, God, why did you let it happen? God didn't open the door. You did. So this is why we've got to ask God to the doors in our lives that should be shut, that he shuts them. Doors in our lives that we think are open and okay, we need to check with him because the enemy will go in any place you allow him to. And it can just be through idle words. Yep. Just simple stuff. Stuff, you know, jokes and all this other mess. But anyway, let's go to Matthew 12 and let's look at verse 22. The devil, I admit, he doesn't have anywhere near the power of God. He cannot take down a Christian that is living the life. There's a big difference. But he can go after one that is playing in his world and, and God's. You see what I'm saying? Because as you open those doors, the enemies are going to walk through. 
Well, and like with what you just said about the enemy not having the, the power that Jesus Christ has, but at the same time, we can give the enemy power. Absolutely. If we are not staying under the protection of Jesus Christ. So it's like if we start to stray from him and go another direction or go down at like a different path, Instead mm-hmm. of the one that the Lord has for us, and it's like, okay, now we're given the, the the enemy power, because if we go down a different path, number one, we're not covered in the armor, so that armor's not there. So the enemy just he's like, go ahead and do what you got to do. <laughs> and the whole purpose last week, I didn't realize when the Lord teaches, he'll build upon one thing to another, and I have no intentions of this happening, but he shows me through time, like um, this past Tuesday. That the subject was, this is bigger than you. You know, everything we say, you know, whether it's spiritual or physical, this is way bigger than us. It's not just about you and I. And I think in many cases, the devil tries to get us to forget that, that we can get so focused on self that we don't even see the big picture, you know? So mm-hmm. that's that's just so important that we do these things and we recognize that this is all about Jesus Christ, not about us. Amen. All right, so this is Matthew... Um, Uh, 12 and let's look at verse 22 and he says then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil blind and dumb and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw and all the people were amazed and said is not this the son of david but when the pharisees heard it they said this fellow doth not cast out devils but by beelzebub the prince of the devils and jesus knew their um thoughts and said unto them, so he didn't hear what they said, he knew their thoughts, you know, and what they were thinking, uh, um, in verse, all right, so he says, said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand, and if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? So Jesus is making clear that you know, even though Satan's kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, how can it go against itself and still be, you know, correct or still be strong? It's the same thing in the kingdom of God. It's the same thing as believers, man. There are times I can feel like my brothers in Kenya praying for me, you know, in my sleep. It's almost like they'll be praying and I can actually feel rejuvenated or someone is out there praying. I don't know who it is. But in turn, when I get that feeling, I want to get down on my knees and start praying for people that I know need the Lord too. But that's the type of domino effect that it should have that, man, we're not thinking of self in this situation. What about your brother? And and when we think that way and we don't allow the enemy to have an inroad through laziness or slander and other things, we become the children of the highest, you know? And that's why God wants us to be fortified and fully a temple of him, having no defiled idols or anything in the midst. Why? So that we can be the children of the highest. So when people do things that, you know, would hurt us, and most people would respond the way that they do, we don't even react to that. So one thing we got to understand even right now is that Satan can't cast out Satan. And we're going to really get deep into this today. Because why many of us don't even have the power to do the things that God calls us to is because we're in we're aligned one way or another through our mouths or our lifestyle with the enemy. And he will not respond to what you want to happen. He won't because he's got some allegiance to you. Mm-hmm. All right. And A.A. Allen actually talks about this. 
So this is verse 27. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore shall he shall shall be your judges. They shall be your judges. Verse uh, 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. And this is a good way of knowing, and I know a lot of people push this doctrine down of deliverance, but I know for me, this is a good way of knowing how close you really are with the Lord. Pastor Price even believes in going through long fast before any conference because he recognizes that if you don't, then the enemy will just sit there looking at you. You know why? Because you've let your oil run dry. Okay, there's areas in your life that might be dry that you can proclaim whatever you want to proclaim. But if that light is not shining in you or we're not, you know, heavy in the flesh, I mean, or we're too heavy in the flesh that the spirit can't break forth, then the enemy will not obey you. But if we subdue our flesh and we become strong spiritually, we can tell the devil to move and he has to. Okay, so this is a good indicator because Jesus said, if I by the kingdom of God or the, um, by the finger of God cast out devils, then the kingdom has come upon you. Okay, so that shows you where your allegiance is. When Jesus said that which is bound on earth will be bound in heaven, he means the same way in deliverance. But if we proclaim things and they don't come to pass, it's something that we're doing that's shutting off the power from heaven. Where, yeah, you said it, but the kingdom of God is not in line with you because you're not connected to the vine. That's what this is all about. All right, so he says, by who do your sons cast them out? So these men had children that actually saw Jesus and were casting out devils. Okay, but these guys couldn't do it because of the fact that they were unbelieving. All right, so um, verse 29, or else how can one enter, or enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man and then will he spoil his house? So you see that? Jesus is also showing us here about binding the strong man. We know that the strong man is a root demon, okay, that, that a lot of people deal with that will fortify a home, even yours, if you've got one. But Jesus is saying that once you deal with the strong man, then you can break up the goods in that house. Okay, so it's important that we have power over these things, but it's all about how we have to be before God. If we're righteous, if we're doing what God says, if we're given over to prayer and fasting and we stay connected with the Lord, then you can bind a strong man. But you can't bind a strong man if that house isn't broken up, even with us. If we've got things within us, we cannot dictate to any devil what to do. I've had this happen to me in experience where when it came to the demons of like drugs and alcohol, that I've, the Lord has had power over them in my life because I have no association with them. But then when it came down to things that I was still in some ways connected to and compromising, there's no demon going anywhere because you haven't taken authority over him. And it has to begin with you. Okay? So anyway, um, where am I now? Oh, okay, verse 30. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me uh, scattereth abroad. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. So Jesus is warning these guys, be careful what you put your mouth on because you may say a lot of things that may defile the body, but there's one thing in particular that you can say 
that can truly end your walk with the Lord is to speak against the Holy Ghost. That's why sensationism is so, um, you know, detrimental to a person's life because what you're pretty much saying is that, yeah, God changed things from how he's done them. Man, that's a deadly thing to even put your mouth on that. You got to be careful. Exactly. Okay. You got to know that everything that God said is true. So he says, wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So that's why even at times when I believe that someone might be a false prophet, you know, you got to pray about it and, and proceed slowly if God commands you to, because there might just be a corrupt person still having the works of the Holy Ghost work in them. Unless God reveals to you otherwise, you better be real careful of what you say God did and what he didn't do because of what can come your way. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you don't like the person, be real careful with your mouth. Why? Because that can cause something to happen to you. You know, you take everything to God in prayer. So you won't be forgiven in this world or in the world to come. That's how serious God takes blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. Verse 33, neither make the tree good, either make the tree good and his and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. So this goes back to lukewarm Christians, okay, or people that are of double mind and double heart, because God wants us to be able to, like he said, either make the tree good and the fruit good, either walk the path of righteousness or the straight path. Or either just be corrupt and let that be. But don't try and be a sinner, a dirty devil, and you want to proclaim Jesus. Don't try and be a hypocrite, and then you want to do it because there'll be no power behind your words. There'll be nothing that God can even work through because you're half-hearted. So God wants us all the way in or all the way out. So this and Matthew 12 is all about separation. Separation of the tongue, separation of the lifestyle, separation of even the power of God and where he wants to move us and where, you know, the enemy may want us to. But everything he's saying, if you don't gather, you scatter. If you don't do this, you do that. If you're like this, then you can't do this. So he's preaching now a separation for the life of the Christian. Mm -hmm. So he says, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? So you see what he's telling you? If you've got evil in you, how can you speak that which is good? Then he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So us knowing this, we've got to be real careful with what we say and what we do. Because man, there is no, I was just kidding. You know, and I'm good for that. You know, I can be quite the clown sometimes. When everything is subtle, um, he, 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 I'll do this and I'll do that. And, you know, all these other things. And, oh, oh, you dropped something. You know, and all that playing around and, and silliness. I mean, I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to be able to have fun or some joy. But when it's really nowhere, when it's going nowhere, when it's just simple nonsense that nobody would even think about, 
Those types of things offend the Lord, and it really shows you what's inside of you. Yep. When you can't stop playing, when you can't stop joking, you know, and it's just something like, what is it that is in you? And we got to know that there are even joking demons, which we'll get into maybe a little bit later. Okay, but that's why it becomes so alluring that I remember being a class clown when you crack jokes. I mean, it's so intoxicating to hear people laugh and then you keep on going. Then you just can't answer a straight question. Then you're just sarcastic and you think that you're really doing something, but that's demonic. Mm -hmm. Okay, so look at verse 35. A good man out of a good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of an evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So he's just telling you what's within. Verse 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So what we've got to look at here is if he's judging every idle word, as we talked about um, last Tuesday, then what is God expecting to hear coming out of our mouths? That's just something to think about. If he's judging every little thing you say, what is God expecting to hear? And that's where we've got to come to that place of my words are not just empty. My words are not just non-productive or productive. I mean, they're very important to what we say and what we do. God is looking, they're being weighed in other words. You know what I'm saying? Even if I say somebody can do a little bit better and get closer to the Lord, you know, then the Lord will say, well, why don't you tell them that? Why are you talking behind their backs and saying what you're saying? Do you have any words of encouragement here that this person can grow and move forward? That's what this is really about, because it's either a blessing or a cursing that is going to be placed on us in what we say. But we will be justified by our words and condemned. I would suggest after this teaching or even, you know, while you sit there or while there are listeners listening, that you repent of what you say and what you do. Because, man, being the age that we are, I'm 43 years old. I said a lot of stuff that I have never repented of. I mean, even from what you would say earlier this week or dealing in the education system and things and where I've worked and what I've done, I've said a lot of things that God will probably want to know why I said them. So, I mean, you know, there's nothing like having a clean slate and asking God to guide your heart and your words. Because if we don't, we can have a lot of things against us in the day of judgment. So, you know, we better start checking it right now while we're alive. Lord, pretty much just throw away everything from the time that I could talk up until the time of this being revealed in me. Because, man, you know, we just look at life so easy and so laid back. When really, we should be looking at God paying attention to everything we say. I mean, that's terrifying. Even when we get up here and we preach the word and we tell people about the Lord, make sure that God is guiding your words, what you should say and what you shouldn't say. Don't be so quick to talk, because I know at times I could be up here and my mouth will run like a motor. But the thing is, is... Sometimes it's good to just take a moment before I go into this, Lord, guide me in what to say. He even says that teachers will receive the greater damnation, okay, and judgment. That's why he said, let teachers among you be few. Because, um, you know, I know everybody, we all want to jump up with a mic and start preaching on Facebook Live and all this stuff. But 
if it wasn't guided by the Lord, we can get ourselves in serious trouble. And it's not even so much what you said, it's how if it wasn't dictated by the Spirit, what you made somebody believe. Maybe someone misunderstood what you said and ran with it because you never made it clear or it wasn't guided by the Lord. You can't be responsible for people's misinterpretations, okay? So I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, if there were other motives in your heart for bringing forth the word, then it coming from God and people getting saved, then you can actually do more harm than good. That's why the Bible tells us to be careful what we speak and what we do. Okay, so um, let's move on. I want to go to, uh, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. So, you know, Isaiah chapter 6 is where Isaiah begins to deal with the Lord. If you uh, look at chapters 1 through 5, God was showing Isaiah a corrupt society, which Israel was. I mean, you had everything in there. I mean, like seven women want to take a hold of one man to be their husband because the men are gone. He talked about homosexuality. They declared their sin is Sodom and they don't hide it. He even says, come and let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet. I can make them white like wool. Though they be like crimson, I can make them white as snow. And he talked about the dross and everything else that would be in society, pretty much everything that's in the headlines today. But these are things that God want us, he, he told, or he showed Isaiah before choosing him to be a vessel to speak. Mm -hmm. All right. So this is Isaiah chapter six. And let's look at verse one. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. I don't know why I love this verse so much, because you can just imagine when he says he saw the Lord, yes. you know, sitting in the temple, you know, high and lifted up. And that's how our God is. He is high and lifted up. He can't be associated with anything that is filthy, anything that is unrighteous. And it says his train, like the end of his robe, how like when a lot of women get married, mm -hmm. they'll have that long train, like his train just filled the temple. But you just get this amazing vision, you know, of God. And he's just, you know, high. And I mean, I'm not even going to try and pretend how I know he looks, but, you know, in all his majesty and his glory, you know, this is how Isaiah is seeing him. All right, look at verse two. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain, uh, he covered his face. And with uh, twain, he covered his feet. And with twain did he fly. So this is, these are the cherubim. Now he's seeing the throne of God. You got a cherubim on each end, okay? Or cherubs on each end. And then he says, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So when you just think about this in Revelation, you know, it also talks about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The angels make no mistake in who they know God is because they are in his presence. If we get to the place of being in the presence of God, we will just see him the same way. There's something about music that comes to the heart when you think of God and you think of his goodness. It's almost like a, you know, 
like a winded up music box that just plays, Lord, you are great. You are awesome. You know, worthy, you know, are you above all things. And let me just go. But the, the point I'm making is, is that these angels, this is their assignment. They go around the Lord is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am an, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the king, the Lord of hosts. So this is where, you know, he sees Jesus. And just looking at Jesus and the angels worshiping Jesus, Isaiah like almost takes a step back and he's like, my God. Like, woe is me. Like, how filthy am I in his presence? That he's making clear, man, I'm an unclean man. And this is what coming into the presence of God shows you, your uncleanness. I mean, do you realize that when we get saved and the Lord begins to show you things, or even when you become in the, in the a company of people that love God and worship God, you feel a cleanness around them and a filth or stench around you that needs to be made right. When you look at things that you've justified in your life, all your life, things you might have said, things you might have done, and then you come and you read the Bible and the word of God tells us this is not right. All of a sudden, there is this feeling of uncleanness that we have, that we want God to remove from us. So Isaiah, just being exposed to the holiness, to the words of God, or just seeing God or being in his presence, he recognized how filthy he is and the people that he is associated with. Because first God showed him them and then showed him himself. And they reckon, and he recognized right then and there, man, I am filthy, you know, and so are the people that are around me. Okay. So in verse six, he says, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live like a hot coal in his hand, uh, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, lo, this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. So you see with the heat, you know, um, God was able to purge it and I remember for me wanting to be involved in ministry early on, but my problem was I had a lot of cursing. You know, I was still, even though I knew what God was right, I still would swear. I would still curse. You know, there were times I actually believed that I was righteous before God until somebody cursed at me and then the words would fly out. Sarah actually witnessed this one day because um, I had to work at the Rose Festival. And at this point, we were done cursing for like a year. You know, we were totally given over to the Lord. I think this was like 2013 or 2014, somewhere around there. And I remember there was a guy that couldn't get his way. You know, he wanted to get in, you know, and I was just doing security. And I was like, look, man, you know, you got to pay to get in or whatever. And he, oh, I just want to use the bathroom. And I'm like, you know, not that I don't believe you. But the thing is, there's a lot of people have done that. I can't remember exactly what was said, but he cursed me, called me out my name. And out flew the words from me. You know, he said, bleep you. And I said, bleep you too. And then I'm sitting there thinking. And Sarah was sitting right, standing, sitting right there, you know. And I was like, oh, Lord, forgive me. You know, but that person just made me that angry. Mm -hmm. Now a person could call me and curse me and call me anything in the book. 
Those words are not in my mouth anymore. They don't exist. But I thought that was the only thing. Then the Lord had to purge me from exaggeration. He's got to purge you from saying he said things that he didn't say. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of things that God has to continue to work with us in order to represent him and be right. That's true. So you see, his sin was purged. And this is verse 8. He said, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. So now that his mouth has been purged, now he's saying, hey, send me. I'll go. Like, I'm not a good man, but I will go if you send me. But notice God had to cleanse his mouth. Why? Because he needed to be a mouthpiece for God. All right. Verse nine. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. So what we've got to look at, too, is here that we talked about God will cleanse the, um, the mouth, you know, that you might be a spokesperson for him. But this also tells us in many cases why we won't go. You know, your mouth is unclean and you know it. Your lifestyle is not in the place where God wants it to be and you know it. There is nothing like, like I said, when you've been fasting and giving over to time with the Lord, you don't even have to think about what you will say. You will speak and you will do because you know that you're not like them. Most of why we won't use our mouths to do what God tells us to do is because we know that they're unclean. We know that we're not going to betray people that are like us. Because I realize when you don't live the life that the world lives, you can tell people what needs to be known because you don't care. The very fact that you care about how people will perceive you tells you everything about what's going on in your heart. Your heart is double. You want God's love and you want the world's love, so you therefore won't speak. You want God's approval and you want the world's approval. So you dare not preach the gospel. But I realize when you have become separated, when these things are taken out, when God has purged your mouth and your lifestyle, okay, you can openly tell people what they need to know because you're not looking for anything concerning yourself. Right. Back to my niece and back to little Easter, Melissa's son, they go and they tell kids about the gospel. You know why? They don't care about the world. You see what I'm saying? They have they don't have any treasures built up here yet where they can worry about what it can cost them if they speak. Mm -hmm. That's how God wants us to be, and that's how we ought to be as born again. Because when you're young, you're bold. When you get older, there comes this compromising with the world because, you know, we live in it. But God wants us to be purged that these things won't be in us. That's true. All right? So then he says, unless these people want to hear you know, with their mouths, I mean, hear with their, their ears or, you know, um, see with their eyes that God is going to shut them up unless they want to be converted. Verse 11, then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. So what we understand here about Isaiah is he asked the Lord, how long do you want me to minister and the Lord says, until judgment comes. And judgment eventually did come, you know, after Jeremiah's time. 
that Babylon took over Israel. But you see, in order for God to purge our mouths and use us, we got to be available. And God is asking Isaiah to be available until everything goes or comes to pass. So you see, we pick our times and our moments where we want to minister. And in doing so, we're not using our mouths for the Lord like we should. And, and this is why if we put a stopper on your mouth until you're done with work, then you don't glorify God. But God wants you to use this mouth for him is why he gave it to you. You know, and that's something for us to think about. Verse 12, and the Lord hath removed men far away and there be a great forsaken in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal, a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them. When they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. So what we got to understand is God says, and it will be a tenth of those that will be saved, of those that will actually hear the gospel. So we must not get offended when we go out and tell people what, need to be, what needs to be known, because most people won't accept it. I would guarantee you in preaching the gospel, I would say one out of 10 people will hear you. I've ministered to groups of people where there might have been 10 of them there, and you find all nine of them, oh man, I don't believe that, that's all garbage or whatever, and you get them all laughing and talking, but if you look in that crowd good enough, there's one face that's not saying anything in there, because he actually believes. He's someone that you're getting through to where he's looking at the rest of them like, man, I wish they weren't here, so I can actually come and talk to you about what's what. So we can't be offended when we preach the gospel, but one thing is clear, we've got to be available for God to work with us and to use us if we're serious about his word. And I know he's going to cut my job for me, and I want him to in many ways, because I know that there are things concerning there that I won't fully do what he says. So my goal is to preach the gospel up until they can no longer take it or stand it or I cross certain lines that the world doesn't want me to. And if God gives them the okay, then let me go that I might serve him and use him Amen. because these things that I hang on to are stunting my walk with God. And I realize it. Why I won't speak is what I do daily defiles my mouth from being presentable for God. Right. Anything that will stop up your mouth defiles your mouth. And that's clear. So let's go to Mark chapter seven and let's begin at verse one. Yeah. They're always down there listening. Mm -hmm. I know that. You know, they get real quiet when it comes. Praise the Lord. Yeah. But you know, this is something I know we've talked about for a long time, and it just it has to reign really true in our lives is that nothing I mean, pretty much nothing in this life can and have like real value to us except for Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying you don't love your family and kids and all that, but you know, if if in fact all of that they they go away from you, are we willing to stand on the truth of Jesus Christ and and trust His hand, trust that He has a plan for all of it for our lives? Absolutely. I mean, your mouth has got to be uncompromising in this mm -hmm. concern of the Lord. You can't be shaken by people. I mean, for me, it would be kids or not, married or not, girlfriend or not. 
I'm not changing one bit of this gospel. Either they're going to come in line with it and accept God's word as true and the final authority, or there'll be nothing. But I've never, you know, he's got me to the point, I don't care if you give me somebody today or to be with, and they're offended by it. Hey, this is what the word says. This is what I'm about. This is what I believe. If you don't believe it, then I'll see you. Exactly. And it's just that simple. Why? Because salvation is only the most single important thing that we have in our lives. I'm not compromising it. And the Lord will give you, you know, someone that will. Don't think that you're going to be alone. You know, you may spend a lot of time alone because a lot of people don't like the gospel. But the fact of the matter is you've got to know that God is right. If he's your husband, let your husband marry you off. You know, let him walk you down the aisle. God the Father will walk you down the aisle with the right person. Everything else is just a waste of your time. Yep. Amen. So this is Mark chapter 7. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with the file, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. And the, uh, for the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be, which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? So in some ways, you want to be thankful for the Pharisees because they asked questions that got them checked out that we wouldn't have to ask. God is telling you, you know, he used the ignorance of people and their religious values and tradition to make points necessary that if you break this whole thing down, it's all about loving the Lord and loving your neighbor. Man, how awesome is God that he can take tradition and throw it away just to get down to the point of Adam and Eve. How are Adam and Eve made? Good, very good, in the likeness and presence of God, full of the spirit of God. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply. But these guys are so caught up in the religion of Moses that they fail to realize what God's original plan was. When we preach the gospel to people, that's letting people know God's original plan. Love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Man, how beautiful is that, that God just wants to return us to his image and push all that other stuff away. God is good. Verse 6, he answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied to you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. So, you know, God is not interested in the outward performance or the things that we think will be beneficial for us, how we're seen, how we're perceived. He said, man, many honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And what are those commandments he gave? What we just mentioned, love the Lord and love your neighbor amen and you know it is really important that we're going over this and and to not get complacent or to not get laxed or to not get comfortable I mean it's 
Because it's, it's so easy to do from time to time. It's like even the Lord's been telling me in my own life, you know, because um, there's a lot of like foolish jesting that goes on at work and people, I mean, it's like, it seems like almost every other word that's out of their mouth is some sort of like, you know, joke or picking on each other and stuff like that. And it's like, you know, you can't control what everybody says, but... It's like if you get entertained with that or you get involved with that, you might as well just be right there with them. And it's like you got to rebuke it out and say, well, I can't control what they say, but I don't have to be a part of it either. I can go over here and, you know, mm -hmm. because it's like I was telling somebody at work and I said, you know, if, if that's what can happen, then the Lord tells me with all that. He's like, why didn't you pray? Or why didn't you tell somebody about me? Or why why didn't you get, get in closer to me? I may have had been wanting you to pray for somebody. And that's what he got on to me. And I told them about that. I was like, Lord doesn't want me caught up in all that. I can't control what that person says. But at the same time, he's like, that's foolishness. Separate yourself. That's right. Exactly. Absolutely. And, you know, it's unfortunate where I work. You probably have more filthy talk there than anywhere. I've even seen... Some of the staff tell the kids don't curse, mm -hmm. and they're cursing as soon as the kids leave. So where's the power in your words? You're a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. You know, you want the kids to stop doing certain things, but you do them. So, I mean, you know, that's a hypocrite. God calls for us to be true. He wants power behind our words, and what empowers our words is clinging to the truth, right. living a lifestyle that is righteous before God. So he says, a lot of people talk, man. A lot of people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from God. That's important to understand because almost every place we go to, you hear people telling you about God is good and I'm a Christian and I love the Lord. But look at what you just said about God. That's something important to recognize because a lot of people say, I love you, Jesus. I love, oh, thank you, Jesus. And you say, man, you can feel the steam coming off this guy's prayer, this girl. Man, they love God. But then you listen to what they say about God. How can your heart be pure? It's not. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we got a teaching coming up. You will know them by their fruit. Because God is making it clear. You can't trust in your eyes and ears. You've got to look at the fruit with the discernment of the spirit to know what is of him and what's not. That's right. The devil quotes scripture. You know, verse 8. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things or think such like things ye do. And he said unto them, full well, ye reject the commandment of God that ye may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, honor thy father and thy mother and whoso curseth father and mother, let him die the death. But um, ye say, if a man shall say to his father or mother, it is Corbin, that is to say a gift, but whatsoever thou mightest, uh, thou mightest be profited by me, by me um, he shall be free. And ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or mother, making the word of God of none effect through your traditions, which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. So again, we talked about this before, that if you uh, reject what the commandment of God is about honoring your parents and then you try and make excuses for being able to go against them, then you have forsaken what God's will is and what he calls for. So you make the word of God of none effect. 
And that's what people have got to understand is there is no substitute. God doesn't take one of his, you know, laws or anything that he tells us. And there is an excuse to not obey them. There is no excuse for not obeying the word of God. The only thing that may get you over for a little while is being ignorant to what is said or not having it preached to you. So that's why it's so important that, you know, if you know the truth, that that's the beginning stages of living in it and walking in it. And a lot of people will say, well, we've always done it that way in our tradition. You got to get to that place of, hey, man, God winks at ignorance for a season. But now he's calling all men to repentance. Repentance. And instead of people being offended by what they're learning and hearing of God, they should be looking at it as a type of grace to say, well, thank you. Now that I know the truth, I can go forward. You can show people in this word what the Bible says, point blank range, and they'll still some way or another cling to their tradition because they don't want the truth to be known or they don't want the truth. They want their tradition. And when you deal with that, you can't work with people. You got to pray for them and give them up to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Verse 14, and it says, And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. And this is what we do with people when we bring them the truth. Man, we're just doing what Jesus said to do. Tell people the truth. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him... Those are they that defile the man. If any man has have ears to hear, let him hear. So he's making clear that there's nothing from within that can defile it. But look at this. And when he had entered into, or when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man? It can defile. It cannot defile him, uh, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meat. So remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But he made clear that that which comes out of a man defile him. If you look at the word profanity, profanity just means that which makes a temple dirty. You know, and when a person may say, I love Jesus, but if you're cursing, if you're lying or doing anything like that, pretty much, you know, your your temple is defiled because it's only going to produce that which is in the heart. This is important for us to understand. So then he says in verse 19, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly and goeth out into the drop, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of a man, that defileth the man. Uh, for, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. See, this is all iniquity here. Adulteries, fornications, uh, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, uh, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from in and defile the man or within and defile the man. So what we've got to understand here is foolishness on this list is, I mean, look, it's, it's connected with blasphemy, pride, an evil eye, wickedness, covetousness, foolishness. Just being a clown and enjoying that says that your heart is in line with these very things. So I'm not saying 
that we've got to live everything in life all serious, that God doesn't want you to do things. God calls for praise and worship. The Bible made clear, I think it's in um, First Chronicles, uh, let me see, it's in Second uh, Samuel, actually, chapter 6, where it says, David danced before the Lord with all his might, because a woman told him, you know, there was no need to do what you did. And David danced even harder. But that was the love that, that he had for the Lord. Mm -hmm. When the Bible says, make a joyful sound unto the Lord, this is about praise and worship. Okay, this is about even teaching people what they need to know concerning God, uplifting and glorying the name of Jesus. So God don't want us to be some corpses or mummies either, where we're just sitting there and you know, we don't want to profess what he says or, you know, we've got to be all serious to be holy. It's got nothing to do with that. It's about what's coming out of your mouth. Is it productive for the kingdom of God or is it against God? And that's why um, I think R.W. Schombach said, and A.A. Allen said too, he's never seen a man that smokes cigarettes or a woman that has been baptized in the spirit. Mm -hmm. He said, God won't do it. The reason is, is because you're defiling the temple. Okay, God's not going to put his spirit in there so you can choke him out. You've got to be cleaned of certain things so that the spirit can dwell there and live in it. But, you know, alcoholics, I think it's even the same thing. Anyone with drug habits, really, you know, it's like God's not going to baptize you like that. Because, you know, but if you're a, a drug addict that calls out and says, Lord, deliver me, please, you know, God will come and work those things out of your life. We all had an apple out of that bag, but that's what God will do if you let him. But if you continue in these things, yeah, he may take the time to clean you out, but he's not going to baptize you in the spirit until those things have been moved, right. you know, taken out of the mix. Amen. All right. So, you know, that's what he was making clear. Those things... All those evil things come from within and defile the man. I mean, even if you look at, let's, well, this isn't the subject for tonight, so let me move on. But <laughs> but if you go into fornication and all these things, these things don't begin in the act of fornication. They begin in what's in the heart. So you see, that which is inside will manifest and bear fruit. And the fruit or the works of the flesh come from these particular things, what's within and the, the fruit of the Spirit come from what's within. But it's all about who's got your heart. Let's go to James chapter 3. Trying to drown it out. Let me get a little louder. Amen. You know, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this at work or not, but... Have you ever been around people at work that they can't look you in the eyes? Yeah. You notice that, like, you're the only person for some reason that they can't look in the eyes. Everybody else they can talk to, hey, girl, you know, how's this or what's going on? Hey, you seen the game? But even when people will come and try and talk to me about the game, they're always, like, looking down in the way or passing each other in the hall. It's like they'll just. Especially the homosexual. You know, or whatever, you know, sinners that are out there. It's like they'll walk and they just, they can't stare at you because it's like there's something convicting about their lives in comparison to yours. Now, this is not because we think we're better than anyone, but there's, there's a witness that goes against them because what's inside is defiled. Spirit is spirit. Absolutely. 
you know, and we even feel that way when we spend a lot of time in the world and come back to church, you know, get before the presence of God or get down in prayer. We get this coldness around us like, Lord, I know I haven't given you a lot of time and I'm not sure what to say right now because you have, you know, made a way that you've distanced yourself from yeah. God. So that's why we got to let that fire keep burning. We've got exactly. to stay close. All right, this is James 3 and 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Masters, in this case, doesn't mean employer. It means teachers. Uh, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So he's saying if you can, can control your mouth in offending. Now, sometimes we can't help it. That's why he says in many things we offend all. If you're going to preach the gospel, people are going to be offended. But if you are attempting to offend, that's a difference. You see what I'm saying? If what's coming out of your mouth means to hurt a person or, yeah, I want them to know this because I want to embarrass them this evening. That's defiling. That's offending because you're attempting to. Verse 3, behold, uh, we put bits in the horse's mouths and they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. So it's true. Everybody knows you can get any type of animal, even a wild one, to obey you if you've got some food. They're more likely to trust you. Even if you mean to trap some of them, they usually do it through food. You know, hey, 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 doggy, nice dog, you know, whatever. And they come over to you. Ha, gotcha. But this is how, you know, a lot of animals are led through treats. Mm -hmm. Okay, verse four. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. So, you know, you would think that bits in comparison to horses would be something small because a horse is so big and powerful. But look at how you can get them to obey. Ships, as big as they are and as much as they weigh, that they can be turned even by the slightest of winds, okay, or the little helm that they, you know, little wheel can turn a whole ship. So he's, he's trying to make a comparison here. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. This is true. How many people have fallen asleep on the couch and dropped a cigarette and burned their whole house down? Okay, how many times have kids have been out there playing with fireworks on a dry day and no one sees that little bit of smoke burning and before you know it, you've got a roaring blaze. Okay, verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. So we can all have the prim, the proper look, carry the Bible, wear the perfume, have the family flowers in your hair and all those things. And we can look like, man, that's a man or woman of God. But you can open your mouth after church and you hear them say something and you say, you see, that's what's really, that's who they really are. That's what's really inside of the individual. And because of that, now that just changed your whole perception. How many people you thought were brilliant in your life until you heard them speak? Yeah. How many people you thought, man, were really good? This used to happen to me when I was unsaved, even though like I had reason to judge anybody. But you know how you'd be sitting in class or whatever or at work 
and you might see a girl you think is attractive and you said, oh, I like her. You know, she's really nice, respectful. That's the kind of person I should be with. And then you see them like joking with somebody else and they come out and say something and you're like, wow. You know, like I thought that they were different, you know, but that's why they say it's better to keep your mouth closed and look like a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt because your mouth truly tells everybody who you are. That's right. Okay. So it says in verse seven, for every kind of beast of the, and the birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and have been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly member, I mean, unruly evil full of deadly poison. So if we are able to tame the mouth, man, we are like 90% of the way home because, and, and I'm not talking about faking it. I'm talking about actually, you know, letting God have a grip on it and, and determining what we should say and what we should do. Yeah, there'd be, you may be a lot less talking and we'd be a lot quieter, but one thing we will be is sanctified. If we will just allow God to hold and bridle the tongue and do what he needs to do with it. Amen. Full of deadly poison, man. How many times have we even liked a person just to hear another person talk about them that changes your perception of the person? You know, and that person could be lying for all you know, mm -hmm. but it changed your whole viewpoint on people. And that's why we've got to be careful, even in ministry or whatever, what we say with our mouths, because we can cause us or, or others to not like individuals. And then what have you got? Division. So how can a house stand if it's divided? Yeah. All with the mouth. Okay. So verse nine, uh, therewith bless we God even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. So he's saying, this is back to hypocrisy. How are you going to glorify God with your mouth, only to curse your brother with your, with your mouth? So this tells us, this goes right back to the same two commandments, Love the Lord thy God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. See, God never left out loving your neighbor. God is not some self-centered, you know, individual that, yeah, it's okay if you love me and give me all the glory, but as far as they go, I mean, you know, treat them how you want from time to time. That's not the God we serve. God says, if you're good, and that's why the Bible even says in John, how can you say that you love God? whom you can't see and not love your brothers that you see daily. That's a false love. That's a false heart after God. Because not only should you love God, God should be in you to the place of loving your neighbor. Amen. Verse 11, doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? So if a fountain doesn't spew out some water sweet and the rest is bitter, we're not supposed to be. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? either of vine figs, even, even of vine figs, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So he's making it clear, you can't be both. You can't be double-hearted, double-minded. You've got to be in that place of single with God. Mm -hmm. What God likes, I will do. What God doesn't like, I will have nothing to do with. Because outside of that, your mouth is going to pick up or, or spread out that which is exposed to. That's just plain and simple. 
Verse 13, he says, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him shew out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So a wise man is endued with knowledge, or, you know, is endued with knowledge. He says, let him shew out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. So we don't say things to show off. You know, we don't say things, you know, in corrupt speech, but we say things that will glorify God with meekness. Sometimes you can preach to people things and you can't get through to them. Then one day they learn it, come back and try and teach it to you. Don't go and tell that person, I told you, if you just would have listened. No, you know what, with meekness, praise the Lord. Amen. Because right. it, it doesn't matter where it came from. How many things have we stolen from other people? That's right. You know what I'm saying? So the word of God is constantly recycled, constantly distributed. It's going from one place unto another. So we can't look at it like we're all learned and you know. But then, you know, when a person comes, hey, you're stealing what I gave you. Everybody stole nothing. We all stole it from God. Okay? <laughs> Everybody. I was looking up this thing and it talked about how just about every Hollywood movie ever made was influenced by the Bible one way or another. Because you know what? This is man's first literature, not education. Yeah. This is man's first education is the word of God. It's been around longer. And we ought to know what God's word are. Because Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. So what we say will either have, you know, the, the inspiration of God or the inspiration of the devil. Yeah. There's no in between. All right. So look at verse 14. But if ye have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above. This doesn't come from God, but it's earthly. You ever notice wherever you go with people in the world, all they care about is worldly affairs. You bring up Christ, you hear crickets. It's sensual. So it's all about how it makes me feel, what I enjoy, what I desire. Okay? It's natural. Mm -hmm. And then it says, and devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Like we did that teaching. Um, what's that thing? Well, we were talking about the, uh, the uh, orchestra. The symphony of the Lord. Yeah. Okay, now when we when we did that teaching, if all eyes are on the conductor, then it doesn't even matter. But you see, where there becomes envying and strife is we've got some purposes of our own that we desire. You see, it's just like if we get caught up in a debate in here, I say one thing, Christina says another, and then there might be some misunderstanding. So we come to the place of, okay, let's see what the Bible says or whatever. You feel one way, I feel another. But if we go with the word and the word says whatever, all right, cool. You know, or, oh, okay, I never thought of it like that. Okay, you're right, or whatever. But you see, if there is envy and strife, it may be because we both want to be right. We don't want to be seen as the bad guy in front of everybody. So we're willing to burn the whole house down to not to say that the other person was right. You know what I'm saying? That's something that we've got to look at. There is only contention and strife when there is eyes not focused on the Lord and, and what God calls us to. So we've all got to be brought to that place of there ain't no contention in here. What does God's word say? If Christina's right, she's right. If I'm right, I'm right. It doesn't matter if anyone else, if the word of God says it, 
That's where it is. Mm -hmm. Or even if we do get corrected, and I'm not going to lie, correction can be humbling and embarrassing. You know, that's happened to me. But we've got to get to that place of buckling down and actually saying, oh, you know what I mean? That's cool. You're right. All right, cool. Well, thank you. But you know what? That's so much easier to do than for us to fight for the point that we because then it just starts going in other places and we're not serving the Lord at all at this point. So he's making clear it is earthly, sensual, and then eventually demonic, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But if we're all in the place where God wants us to be, there's no problem. Thank you for the correction, my sister. Thank you for this. and the, But we're in that place of thank you. I got it right. I was wrong. But when you find confusion, you get perversion. But it's usually from envy and strife, fighting for power, fighting for control, fighting for the floor, whatever it is that we deal with. Yeah. We've got to make sure that we're not in that place. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure. What does that mean? Not defiled. Doesn't come out of defiled mouths. Doesn't come out of double hearts. It comes out of acknowledging who God is and living and walking in his ways. Then it says, then peaceable. So it's not going to be something where you tried to present it out of a out of a warlike heart. Oh, like when I see him this week, I'm going to bring up this scripture because that's studying in strife. That's like trying to, you know, I'm studying because I want to show someone up. Don't even bother because yeah. that's not even what it's about. It's about bringing forth correction. If you see a brother is in error, then, yeah, you can study and say, hey, bro, this is what I noticed. You know, whatever. So, you know, it was just for our edification. We can do that. But if we're studying, huh, I'm going to show them this week that I'm not wrong. And that's strife. That, that's not going to come out of the right heart. Yep. So then it says gentle. So gentle is, you know, being careful at times because we can offend one another and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits. Okay, without partiality and without hypocrisy. It's all about doing it the way that God says. Single of heart, single towards your brother, living a life in accordance with the word. Why? So that God gets the glory. This is the only kind of mouth that will obey God that recognizes, wait a minute, if I say these things right now and I know I'm doing it, I'm a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. If I do this particular thing right now, knowing that it's not of God, this is not out of a pure heart. This is all about bringing things back into that one line, Jesus Christ being the way, the only way. Verse 18, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So you see, if you're not a peacemaker, you can't have the fruit of peace. You can't have peace spoken from you because in your heart is war. And that's what we've got to be clear is that we're in that place with God like he would like us to be. Mm -hmm. You know, so... Um, I think I should do it right now. Let's go to Proverbs 17 and let's look at verse 27 first. And then I'm going to read a little on A.A. Allen because, man, what an awesome. I mean, you know, God really used this man to give you real understanding. And he only uses scripture, but the Lord, you know, revealed things to him that we might want. Well, let's say Proverbs 17 and 27. See, running my mouth, getting me off the subject. <laughs> All right, so this is Proverbs 17, and let's look at verse 27. It says, He have, he that have knowledge spareth his words, and the man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. 
So as you can see, it's like how we live or, you know, you should be careful with your words. That's a man of knowledge. He spares his words. He doesn't waste them on foolishness. That's important for us to look at. Let's go one more place. You know, um, let's go to Proverbs 15 right next door. And let's look at verse 14. Proverbs 15 and 14. It says, the heart of him that hath understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. So it's important that we understand this again. This is just, you know, putting more emphasis on what we've already been talking about. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Let's begin at verse 1. Ecclesiastes 5 and 1. It's right next door. And it says, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools for they consider not that they do evil. So you see what he's saying about keeping your mouth and, and you know, being ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. So we need to learn to wait on God for the words or the, or the actions to be done in his word, in his name other than to do evil, thinking that we're doing right. Look at verse two. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let, thine, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. So that's so awesome about God, because what he's making clear is that we need to recognize God is in heaven. So pretty much he's above you. You're on the earth, you know? So he's saying, man, let your words be few. Look at verse three. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business and the fool's voice is known by multitude of words. So a fool speaks a lie. And that's what we got to understand even with Jesus. Remember when we used to say, like, man, it's so amazing that every time Jesus spoke, there was life, there was wisdom. When he spoke, it was meaningful. He didn't talk about the football game. He didn't talk about anything. Like, you know, you notice I had to tell Peter last week what he did. Jesus don't talk that way. You know what I'm saying? It was more of how can I fix the situation? When Jesus would say, or they would ask Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he would say, this is how you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. And then sometimes he would just say one word to make a point and it would be huge. And then, man, he would, might have to lay out two chapters of meaning, of, of, under, of getting these people to understand. But Jesus never said one word. It says that there was no guile in his mouth. There was nothing that he said that would have brought strife or contention. All he brought was the truth. And that's why, man, if we learn to walk and live like Jesus, man, we got to first get a hold on this mouth. Because this mouth tells us so much about ourselves. We've got to learn to walk with Christ. So I want to read this real quick of A.A. Allen. Some of these scriptures we've gone over, and I'm not going to try and take a man's word. I love the way that he put these together. So much of the scriptures that we talked about, he brings up, you know, and everything. So this is um, chapter 10. It's called Idle Words and Foolish Talk. And that's why I named the study what I did. He says, every idle, unprofitable word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. 
Now remember, that was Matthew 12 and 36. Mm -hmm. Nothing more quickly and thoroughly reveals the lack of real spirituality than does foolish talking, jesting, and idle words. There is nothing that will, that will more surely label the shallow Christian as one who has no concern for others, nor any burden for the lost and suffering than his a perpetual flow of foolish talking and nonsensical joking, although in the eyes of many this seems to be a small matter. There are few spiritual diseases more devastating uh, nor more contagious. So he's telling them to be careful with their tongues and what they do. But he says, man, it reveals who Christians are when he says they don't... Um, they don't have any burden for the lost or suffering, you know, um, for the um, those who are not, I mean, those who want Jesus or those who are lost. He's saying, man, it should bother us in our hearts that we see people unsaved and we don't do anything. We should want to do something. But if we don't, it shows us how shallow we are. Mm -hmm. So he says, God classes foolishness or foolish talking along with some very unattractive companions. But fornication and all uncleanness or a covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. That's Ephesians 5, you know, that um, we, we actually are going to go into because there's more to it than that. Then it says, Jesus himself declared evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, Murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, uh, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. This is Mark 7 and 21 and through 23. Foolishness then will defile a man and the same as fornication. There are many who would never kill nor steal, but will even enter a pulpit and um and publicly and and publicly and unashamed reveal through their words that they are defiled within i have never yet found a man whom the lord is using mightily for the deliverance of the sick and sinful whose mouths whose mouth is filled with foolishness they may entertain the people and get the few and get a few hearty laughs in response to their jokes and nonsense but when it comes to really being able to bring deliverance or to bring a help uh, and blessing when a real need arises, they haven't got the goods. He put that in caps. He says they may even try at times to put off the usual character of lightness for a few for a little while and to preach or teach about deep things. But to those who hear them. Uh, there is no ring of sincerity, no real persuasion that the that they speak as the oracles of God. They are like sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. I do not wish to infer that God's people should go around with a long face all the time, having no joy. God's people are the happiest people in the world. God has commanded sorry, uh, rejoice evermore. That's 1 Thessalonians 5 and 13. God's people are expected to be so happy that they will shout, sing, clap their hands, dance, laugh, and even leap for joy. 
a few scriptures of which show these things are the following. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Uh, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing, Psalm 101 and 2. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God uh, with a voice of triumph. That's um, Psalm 47 and 1. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with a temporal and harp. This is Psalm 149 and 3. Then remember what we talked about. It says, David danced before the Lord with all his might. That's 2 Samuel 6 and 14. So, you know, I, I want to say here that, yes, I agree with what A.A. Allen is saying, having that joy of Christ in us. But we got to remember, A.A. Allen is not God. Jesus Christ is God. And what I'm going to say with this is not that what he said wasn't true. It is true, but they all have their place. The Bible does tell us to be sober and vigilant, which means serious and sober, you know, like to know what's going on. And the reason I'm saying this is for this, is for this cause. I've never heard the disciples cracking jokes. I've never heard Jesus cracking jokes. There's no indication of Jesus himself just, you know, walking around happy. The Bible never says that, okay? The Bible does tell us the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I do believe that we are to have God's joy. And I'm not speaking against it, but everything has its place. But there are some people that are not sober in many ways where they play around with God, not recognizing how serious such a thing is, like salvation, mm -hmm. like preaching the gospel. You get a lot of people like that. They'll be walking and talking. How are you, brother? Oh, I'm blessed in Jesus' name, which is, you know, beautiful. Okay, you have the joy inside of you. Have you talked to anyone today? Have you shared that joy with anyone today? Do you pray for the lost? Do you feed the homeless? Do you care for the sick? So these things are important. So I don't want to push away the joy. Of course, the joy is important for praising the Lord. But I want people to understand, too, that Jesus Christ, we are to live and walk as he walked. Yes, there's time for praise. Yes, there's time for worship. Yes, there's time to give God all the praise, all the glory, all the honor. But some people will take that joy and play around with it and not use it for what God intended. If the life of Christ is in us, then we will share the gospel. And that is joy. It should be a joyous thing that we find people that are unsaved that need to be saved. Why? Because salvation is an individual affair that can't be faked. We have to work out our own salvation through fear and trembling. That's Bible. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what A.A. Allen said. Absolutely. We should have a joy and peace and happiness inside of us that we want to share with others. Caring for people. Not just keeping that joy for self. That joy is meant to be distributed unto others that they may have new hope and life in Christ. So I'm not speaking against the joy. I just felt moved by the Spirit to make a point that if it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling, if he tells us that we need to seek and to help people, and Paul's talking about blood on his hands, and we're talking about going to war with the devil. And the Bible says, endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ. Let us not move aside that that is also true. Okay, so yes, I am for the joy of the Lord. I was playing my music in here 
feeling it, okay, for the Lord and everything else. I even try and sing when nobody's around. Why? Because I know that I've lost the ability to sing. I don't sing anymore. But the thing is, is that we need to give God the glory, but we also got to recognize that we are soldiers in a war for Christ. He's going to bring all this up. But I'm just making the point that let's not be fooled by what he first spoke about, idle words. Now he said, look, I don't mean for people to just be serious. Yes, you can give praise and joy and worship. But remember, what he's talking about is so serious. That's all I'm saying. All right? And it's not because I hate praise. It ain't got nothing to do with that. It's about getting people's minds back to reality. Mm -hmm. You know, verse, um, and then it says, Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. That's Psalm 126, 2 through 3. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. That's Luke 6, 23. Now remember what he says to leap for joy about. You guys remember that in Luke 6, 23? He said that, um, remember, if, um, if people will hate you and turn against you and want nothing to do with your company, Leap for joy, rejoice in that day, for so did their fathers unto the false prophets. So, you know, let's go there real quick, because I'm not going to say anything that's not true. So let's go to Luke 6. See, God's joy is not just joy of just being happy for nothing. Right. God wants you to joy when times are good or bad. Exactly. That's the whole point. That's the real fruit of the Spirit. I All right. also think there's joy that is... Um, fake joy that is imparted by the devil or sensual joy mm -hmm. that can be put on um, mm -hmm. or made up by some of that comedian, you know, acting mm -hmm. um, that people try to seek that through the wrong avenues, mm -hmm. try to fulfill that through outside of God. Mm -hmm. um, because like you said, true joy, you're going to have it even when you are going through your some of your hardest times in That's life, right. you're still going to feel that likeness in your heart because it's the spirit that's mm -hmm. there. Amen. She's absolutely right because look at verse 20 and he says, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed be ye poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are ye that hunger now for ye shall be filled. Blessed are ye that weep now for ye shall laugh. Blessed are ye when men shall hate you and when they shall separate you from their company and shall reproach you and cast your name out as evil, or cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So you see what he said? Look at verse 24. But woe unto you that are rich, for ye shall receive your consolation, for ye have received your consolation, Woe unto you that are full, for ye shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for ye shall mourn and weep. But woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers unto the false prophets. So that's why he tells us later to love your enemies, pray for them that despitefully use you and do things to you, bless them that curse you. Because God wants us to not be defiled that we might be children of the highest. Yep. So I just wanted to bring that point forward because 
there are some people, like you mentioned, the sensual love. I mean, not sensual love, the sensual joy. You know, they let their uh, circumstances dictate to them. Now, A.A. Allen was a very joyful man in the Lord, but A.A. Allen was also a fearless man. They said his uh, daughter said, I don't think he feared anybody but God, really. I mean, he would go and tell people whatever it is they need to, that needed to be known. And I remember seeing videos of him. You guys can look him up. He was real joyous. All right, so there's what we're going to do today, and we're going to talk about the Lord. But what was he excited about? That people would get healed, that demons would be cast out, mm -hmm. that people would be set free and have new hope in their lives. But like you said, the sensual love, these people will, I mean, sensual joy, these people would have so much joy for themselves. Amen, hallelujah, and walk past a bum laying on the street out cold. Remember that thing I sent you guys? Anna sent it to me. But this guy said, I'm going to church to do my Christian duty. Oh, yeah. And there's a man laid out right here that needs Christ. But that's how we can be deceived with our joy, that it's supposed to be the joy for what God wants, the pleasure in, in acknowledging him as God, because it's meant to be distributed. Mm -hmm. You and I and, and, um, and uh, Christina, we could be the happiest people in the world right now. But the thing is, is, if we don't preach Christ, then what is this joy about? Is it about us? What's that? Oh, oh. I'm disagreeing. Oh, oh yeah. Um, that makes me think of there's a lot of things in this life that bring us temporal joy. Like you can have a really nice dinner that tastes really good. And in the moment, that brings you happiness. It's satisfying. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't spiritually satisfy you. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just looking at it spiritually versus what things people seek for happiness mm -hmm. that they think will bring them happiness. Absolutely. And he's right when he said God's people are the happiest people in the world because... When people are worried and crying about the economy and all this stuff, hey, man, I understand your problem, but it's not mine. My hope and my trust is in Christ. Yeah. And I'm thankful to God that he found me and is doing work through me. You know, that's where my, my joy is, is in him. In the Lord. That's exactly. Amen. So he says, you know, and look at verse, um, I mean, not verse. <laughs> But this is the next line. And he says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. That's 8 and 10. Then it says, the Christian who doesn't have joy. Look at this. The Christian who doesn't have joy is a weak Christian, a poor representative of the faith. He claims and will probably soon be completely backslidden and seeking his joy somewhere else. So you see why your joy and everything has to be in Christ because there's something about the way God made us, but man will seek for joy. That's just typical man. So if his joy is not grounded in Christ, he's going to find it in drugs. He's going to find it in alcohol. He's going to find it in fornication or whatever he thinks is going to please him. But see, our joy has to remain in Christ. So then he says, this joy which brings strength is rejoicing in the Lord. It is not rejoicing in the power of our own strength nor of our own wit. But now rejoice ye in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. That's James 3 and 2. We went over that. Many who are guilty of the sin of foolish excess and uh, unprofitable talking will at first be tempted to brand me a fanatic and to rise to the defense of their pet sin. They will declare that it is a mistake to take things too seriously for this, they can find no scriptural defense. So see, if I would have just ran along, 
I wouldn't have even had to say what I said because he's making it clear that there was no scriptural defense for their pet sin. They will declare that it is a mistake to take things too seriously. For this, they can find no scriptural defense. The rescuing of the lost, the deliverance of the suffering, is a serious matter, requiring the whole heart and mind of the one who is consecrated to the task. Many have reserved the right to talk as much and in whatever manner they choose. They would rather have their jokes, foolish jesting, and nonsense that ha that to have the than to have the power of God in their lives. If this is your case, God will have to go on without you. God had chosen, has chosen to work through uh, the spoken word of representatives in the world. When Jesus was here, he said to his disciples, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. That's John 6 and 63. He says, what are your words? James compares the speech coming out of our mouths to water coming out of a fountain. He insists uh, that the fountain should, go, should give forth the same kind of water all the time. The sweet water part and the sweet water part of the time and the bitter water part of the time. Then he adds, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him shew out of a good conversation his works with meekness and wisdom. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying. That's um, Ephesians 4 and 29. He says, words which are not good to the use of edifying are idle, vain, empty, and unprofitable words. They are wasted words. God has given to the believers word and authority and power, which makes it precious. Precious things should not be wasted. Jesus said, whosoever... That means you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come uh, shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. That's Mark 11 and 23. This gives us authority and power to speak with authority, even to the extent of controlling inanimate things. This is the same power which Jesus used when he spoke to the wind and the sea and the storm which gone the storm was and the storm was gone sorry uh, it is the same power which Moses used when he spoke to the rock in the desert and water gushed out that's numbers 20 and 8 Joshua used the same power when he commanded the sun and the moon to stand still it's Joshua 10 12 through 13 Jesus demonstrated the use of this power when he spoke to the fig tree, saying, No man eat fruit on thee hereafter forever. That's Mark 11 and 14. He told the tree to die, and it died. It was on this occasion that he expressed delegated, that he expressly delegated, delegated uh, this same power and authority to any who believe. So as you can see, there is more power in your words when your temple is not defiled. You can believe God when you have put things that are against God away. Then it says, it is, it is to men and women whose words can be with such power. 
whose, whose spoken words can bring deliverance from every oppression of Satan, salvation of the soul, and healing for the body, uh, that Jesus warned that idle, wasted words should be brought into judgment, words which should have been life and deliverance, words which should have been bread for, to starving souls, but words which were uh, nothing but chaff in the face of the world of dying, starving souls and suffering humanity, withholding, uh, withholding the one source of life and deliverance and offering stones for bread, sending forth from the fountain which should give forth the pure water of life, a stream of froth of, and foolishness which is, if not poisonous, utterly unattractive and unprofitable. What will you say to the judge in that day when our deeds and words are judged by the standard of the word of God in which we are exhorted? If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God, utterance, utterance or speech. So you see, everything that we speak should come from the Lord but he's saying that a lot of things wouldn't be done because of what we believe and what we, um, you know, waste our time on. So you see, if we learn to bridle this tongue and walk with God and have things righteous in our lives and we're proclaiming the gospel, then your mouth will be used to praise the Lord, proclaim the gospel, win souls unto him, and no doubt raise the dead, cast out devils, heal the sick. Why? Because your mouth has truly become a mouth for God. That's something to think about. Mm -hmm. This tool belongs to the Lord. So if it belongs to him, anything that I can proclaim will come to pass. That's, right. that's awesome. That's, that's truly awesome. But look at how the devil tried to tell us those things are not that important. So let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. And um, no, let's go to 1 Peter 1 first. 1 Peter 1 and 1. We're almost done. We got like two more verses or two more um, places. Right, so, you know, that's the prayer. Lord, I give my mouth over to you. That's right. You know, I want you to govern it. So that way when you speak, it will be done. That's the only time anything is going to get done. And also, I mean, it's as crazy as it sounds because we live in a world of foolish talking and vain talking and stuff like that pretty much everywhere we go like you said earlier it seems crazy to the, the, the carnal mind that we don't get caught up in that and it's but when we don't and we're not doing it um, as, out, of, out of some sort of rule or law except for God's commandments but it brings us it, it opens our minds to say I'm one step closer to being like my Jesus I'm one step closer to being like him and that's why it's like in the scripture says, who will you obey, man or God? That's right. Amen. And that's why A.A. Allen in that book, you know, I go over this book several times because God showed him 11 things that he did that wasn't right, mm -hmm. that he needed to take off that list so that he could have God's healing power. And if we could ever get to the place, I do agree with him in this, if you have that joy, then you're going to have it when people walk out of your life. That empowers you. Yeah. Because, you see, what we tend to do is long 
to be accepted by others that that joy starts to wane for God and we find ourselves jumping back into hanging out with people that are not of us. Mm -hmm. We care what people think. We wait on the phone. That's why the devil created talk shows because you hear nothing but garbage on there and then while you're sitting there watching it and entertained, it filled your mind with the same garbage. And what can you talk about? Nothing but garbage. Yeah. Nothing but foolishness. All right, so this is First Peter 1 and 1. And it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, and through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. It's funny how I read better. I never thought that the old Quaker English I would read better than normal English, which is good because I'm reading the word of God, you know. Amen. But it says, um, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So look at this. In 7, he talks about the trial of your faith being more precious than gold. And then it says, when it's tried in the fire, that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory. So you see how the dross has to be taken off so that we can truly be instruments of praise or vessels for God to use. Mm -hmm. We need the fiery trials. We've got to go through. So when people separate from us because of Jesus, praise Jesus. And it's got to be that simple because what he's doing is setting you free. And that's why we've got to see this world sober because what we think may be good for us or wholesome can be a prison. You know, your, your mother and times can be a prison. You know, your church can be a prison. Your Bible study can be a prison. There are places where God wants you to be and he may call for you to do because that's what he's expecting. Now, I'm not, you know, some people may say, well, yeah, what are you trying to say? It's a present. Hey, if the Lord told you that, it just may be. The point is, is that we've got, we can't be bound to anything. We've got to be able to move with God as he moves. That's all. All right. So it says in verse eight, whom having not seen ye love in whom though now ye see him not yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory receiving the end of your faith even the salvation of your souls of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who pro, who pro, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you so you see if we really want what god has for us all we've got to do is yield our vessels unto him. If we ever put more light on salvation and what it really truly is, that's the problem. You know, the devil tries to keep us 
from acknowledging what is salvation. Salvation is only the single most important thing that we will ever have to worry about in this life. But if the devil can convince us that this world is more important and the foolishness, you know, then we won't be praising and looking forward to what God wants. Mm -hmm. uh, verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So as you can see, there is joy in here. Look at 11 again. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them. In who? In the prophets. This is where he says the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. So for every one of those prophets that came, everyone that ever taught and preached and spoke the gospel inspired by the spirit, those people had the spirit of Christ in them. If the spirit of Christ lives in you, you will be prophesying. You will be speaking of the truth. You will be letting others know. And this is how your mouth can be used as a tool for the Lord. But it spoke about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up your loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. So as we know more, we ought to allow God to work in us, not of the lust of ignorance, 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. So it's important, not just what we speak, our lifestyles, these things should glorify God. And then he says, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. First Peter chapter four, and I'm done. That's what's so awesome about Jesus, because we can talk about a lot of stuff that we either seen or did or who we are or who we see ourselves as. And the Lord can say, look at your mouth. Mm -hmm. You know, that tells me everything. Don't try and fake it. That's why he said in Matthew 23, read that in your spare time. But he talks about the scribes and Pharisees that they were hypocrites because all they worry about is the cleaning of the outside of the cup instead of looking at the inside of the cup that needs to be cleaned. That was the only time Jesus ever really went off on a people, you know, <laughs> because they were just so busy looking at the outward appearance that he was like, man, woe unto you. You guys ought to seek the truth. It's, yeah, it's yeah. interesting because it's, uh, they're focusing on the things they can see, the carnal, temporal, which mm -hmm. uh, is spiritual at all, but then they're trying to seek something spiritual. They're trying to seek, you know, favor of God and looking like they are mm -hmm. religious or in good mm -hmm. uh, relationship with God. But it's, it's true. But it's all through the carnal and the sight versus that's not faith at all. Because mm -hmm. you know? when you got no audience, who are you really? See, that, that witness is against you, but this is the goodness of God, that if we are in the dark, uh, we are in the light, then what's in the dark will be made manifest in the light. You see what I'm saying? If we could just 
consecrate ourselves, give ourselves over to the Spirit of God and everything that God calls for us to do in private time, we have no choice but to come out in the open and be what we naturally are. You see, when you're alone, is the natural you. So when you're able to step outside of that, if you're spiritual when no one's around, you can be spiritual when people are around. But it's all about who you truly are. And thank God for Jesus that he's bringing us forth. Some of these words cut. Some of these words hurt. But you know what? Thank you, Jesus. Why? Because he's telling you what you need so that you can be real. You can be authentic. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to go into a... a lunchroom and bust out in tongues so everybody believes you're a believer. You don't have to do any of that. You can simply be. When Jesus says, I am who I am, Jesus, if God is who he is. As Christians, we are who we are. If we be in Christ, we don't have to perform for anybody. We don't have to say things because usually what, what gets the mouth in trouble is the mouth tries to compensate for what's not within Empty wagons make a lot of noise. That's not scripture, but I'm sure there's a lot of, of scripture that will tell you about that. Empty wagons, all they do is talk about what I have, what I think, what I know. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and that's what you hear in all this music today. I know when, when word is, and when certain music is, is scriptural, because when it, or, or um, you know, spiritual, because when it is, it glorifies Jesus. You don't have to put any emphasis on yourself. All you sing about is Christ. But when it's worldly, Lord, you took me from this. You took me from that. I did this. Now I'm strong. Now I can see. Now I, 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 I. I'm not saying that we can't give God glory for what he's done. But when you got a whole song based on that, something is wrong here because you're looking for glory. That fake Christian rap, they're looking for their own glory. All right, when you hear worldly rap, they're looking for their own glory. I got this, I got that, I've done this, I've done that. That's an empty wagon. Because if it wasn't, it wouldn't have to. And as a Christian, we can simply be. We don't have to argue, we don't have to debate, we don't have to prove anything. But when God is ready to speak, and we have made ourselves ready, he will speak. And that's what's awesome about, you know, being ready or fit for God and not trying to outwardly perform. Because that outward performance only goes by so far. Exactly. And you know, God's getting ready to cut that <laughs> short. Believe me, his church will be empowered. But for those who've been acting, all you're going to do is be able to act. And what are they going to say with their mouths next? They're fake. That's the fake Christian. They cast out devils by Beelzebub. That's what they were saying about Christ. Because they were empty. When Jesus began to perform, or do the works of his father... The enemy had nothing to say. So now you got to slander him because you can't measure up. All right, so where are the miracles coming from if God's not with this man? That's something you got to worry about, you know, if you're faith. But for those who recognize, man, this is of God. You know, no man can do these miracles except God be with him. That's when the people say, hey, man, well, I'm selling my ticket and getting in line with him because he's bringing the truth. And that's what this is about. Yep. And I mean, I'm not saying the devil don't have power to do things too. He can, but it'll bring something worse on you that's not of God. So we've got to seek God and his power. So this is of First Peter chapter 4. Let's look at verse 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. 
So you see, when you suffer in the flesh, that even includes our tongues. Let's start to include our tongues in everything that we talk about here concerning sin. Verse 2, that, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For in time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, revelings, which is wild partying, banqueting, partying, you know, and abominable idolatry. So let's read that again. It first talk, look, let's look at two, two through three, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. So, okay, that's one. Now look at three. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. What is the will of the Gentiles? The will, what? The flesh, the flesh but the will of the world. Yeah. The way that the world lives, these were the Gentiles. Why? Because they knew not God. Mm -hmm. When we walked, look how the Gentiles walked. In lasciviousness, that's lustful desires. Okay? Um, and then it says lust, excess of wine, you know, drunkards, revelings. Just out there wild, banqueting, partying, showing off, and abominable idolatries. Yeah, Christina. Doesn't revelings have to do with also like gossip and murmuring? So like using your words to speak death mm. about people? I don't know. Let's look that up. Let's look that up. That's uh, 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4 and 3. Okay. Um, Man, time is flying tonight. No, and if it did, you taught me something because I didn't know that. So First Peter four and what is it three? Yeah. Okay. First Peter four and three. The word revelings is G twenty nine seventy, and it means revel council, nocturnal, uh, and riotous procession of half drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper uh, parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus. I knew that was the worship of Bacchus, mm -hmm. which is Nimrod. Okay. And then it says, or some other deity and sing and play before houses of male and female friends. Was a long meaning, hence used generally of feast and drinking parties and are protracted till late at night and indulge in revel. <laughs> So it's pretty much saying like people, now it, I mean, you know, right. But it's like, this is describing the world that when people hang out late and doing everything and all sorts of filth. So I mean, it's just, man. But it was like giving, that was a long meaning. Like, yeah, we're going to get it all in. Okay, so it says banquetings. That's kind of like showing off. You know, when you hold a lot of parties and things like that. Because banqueting... Right, right, because banqueting doesn't have to be revelings. Revelings is like wild partying, but banqueting can be, you know, I just want to throw a get-together for family and friends, and everybody can come dressed up, black tie affair. Everybody can be all dressed, but it's still sin, yeah. because it's got nothing to do with Jesus, you know? Exactly. So it says banqueting and abominable idolatries. Then it says, wherein they think it's strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. So you see, not just it's not just important about how our mouths are towards others, but
but it's what people may have a legal right to say about you for the way that you live. So remember when David got in trouble with the Lord, the Lord or, or Nathan said through him, you know, you gave the other nations a chance to blaspheme God or to say negative things about God because look at what the king of Israel is doing. And that's why the Bible tells us to escape from the appearance of evil because if you're in line with evil, you know, you don't even have to do evil. You could be standing outside of a club, but to someone that may see you and, and know that you're a Christian, oh man, he was out hanging out outside of a club. And then they may say, well, what was he doing? I don't know, but I mean, personally, would you, if you're a Christian, be outside of a club? So what was he doing there? You might be ministering, but it's all about what it appears like to others. Mm -hmm. So you can give the enemy a chance to blaspheme or to say negative things about you according to how you live. Verse 5, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to the men of in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So as you can see, when we preach the gospel, people may have some offense there, but he, God is allowing us to be judged of men. I mean, you're not really being judged of men. You're being according to the word, but that you might live in the spirit. What's more important, the correction or just missing out on living in the spirit? It's best to be told what is right so that you can do right. Because what happens with, um, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Bible says, He that is spiritual judge of all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. Yeah. Why? Because he's living his life in accordance with God. Amen. Okay, so then it says in verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. You know, I never put emphasis on the word fervent until I think it was the third conference we ever did that Carlin had to present something. And I think um, he was talking about the meaning fervent. You know how you should be like hot, feverish, after it, wanting to do it, desiring that these things be done. This is the kind of charity he's saying that we should have that shall cover up a multitude of sins because you're giving, you're fulfilling God's will. You're not earning your place in heaven, but this should be in your heart, a desire to meet the needs of the people. Mm -hmm. Okay, use nine. I mean, use nine. This is verse nine. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. You know, they come over here and eat up all the food and everything. See, I don't mind inviting, but some people go too far. See, that's something, that's giving grudgingly. And the Bible tells you, you may as well just keep it. Why even give if, you, if that's how you feel in your heart? When you give, you got to be ready to part with it. This is something the Lord has taught me and teaching me about me. Okay, look at verse 10. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak of, as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So this is important because he's telling us to speak as the oracles of God. Mm -hmm. So we should want to speak, you know, and I think what gets us out of this, because God does put us on this path to be oracles. Let me tell you what gets us out of this. And we stop. 
when somebody said, man, everything you talk about is scripture. That's all you know. All you know is that, you know, you bring it up. Well, what doesn't it say in the Bible? And the Bible says, and the Bible says, and people can get offended and say, you know, I don't want to hear this. But really what you're bringing forward is the oracles of God. You're speaking as the oracles of God. When you quote scripture, you are quoting God. And some people just don't like it. But that's the safest place to be in. Hey, Lord, I only told them what you said. And that's why the Lord said with Saul, uh, remember when they wanted a king? He said, these people don't hate. They don't hate you, Samuel. They hate me. They hate me because you're telling them they don't need a, a king. They should just give it all to God. But you see, those people got mad and they wanted a king because they hate God. So when we preach the gospel, we tell people the truth. Don't be offended of them being mad at you. It's not you they got the problem with. It's the Christ in you that they hate. Mm -hmm. And you know what? If that's how you have to be aligned, then so be it. Right. Verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So I know at times we can be around people and they can talk about things that we feel like if I don't say anything about this, I'm going to look lame. Or if I'm not talking, I look like I don't like people in the room. And this can also in many ways give us over to, excuse me, being involved in the same conversation as they are. I've been pulled in it before in my past. They start talking sports and I'm just sitting in the room and a person turns to you and smiles, and did you see the game and all this other stuff? And I'm like, no, nah, I didn't see it. But then the person's feelings may be hurt. This is how the devil works with people. So you start feeling like, um, well, yeah, yeah, because I remember he played before. Because you want this person to feel accepted, but the Holy Ghost is telling you to stay out of it. Have you guys ever had that happen to you before? Where you get in the conversation, not because you're interested in it, but you want to hold the, you want to make other people feel warm and comfortable. We got to obey the Spirit no matter what's said. All right, verse 14, if it be reproached uh, for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on your part. He is evil spoken of, but on, wait, what is it? In their part, or on their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. So we got to worry about what God thinks. Okay, when we don't indulge in the things that the enemy brings, you know, the enemy may be mad, but guess what? God is glorified. And we've got to get to that place of God being glorified with your mouth, with your actions, with how you live. That's what's most important. Don't yield to the masses. They're going to hell if they don't get it together with God. But you've got to be faithful in talking about Christ. Yeah. And that scripture, the 14, goes perfectly what we talked about earlier about um, just God's joy mm -hmm. being our strength. Because mm -hmm. it's like saying, if you be reproached, if you're insulted, Mm -hmm. You know, for the name of Christ, which we all know we're going to be um, happy or blessed are ye for the spirit um, of glory and of God rest, rest upon you. you. And that's yeah. that joy that's on yeah. you, even when, you know, you're going through trials or being mm -hmm. persecuted or talking about God and offend people, not potentially, but that happens. 
Absolutely. I mean, she's right, because I was going to go to get back on that, too, and I'm glad she brought it up, because this is important. Why we don't have certain things on us. Why we feel so defeated. Because you're not glorifying God with your body and with your mouth. You see what I'm saying? When he says it rests on you, God is looking for a reason to stay, to keep the spirit on you. Yeah. If we indulge in things of the world and we start talking foolish or doing whatever, then the spirit gets grieved. You're going to expect him to stand there and deal with that? Mm -hmm. If he tells you stay out of that conversation, I don't want you in that cafeteria, you know how those people are, why don't you just come and find a conference room where you and I can be together and we can get into the word or praise or whatever. But if you go to want to be in the company of others, then the spirit is like, you know, I'm not going in there because I told you I didn't want to be in there. And then, you know what I found too? You ever come in in the morning at work in the spirit and you start to slowly give it away into worldly stuff that it's almost, I mean, it's hard at times to bring the spirit back with you. You find yourself just skating along. It's not like you can be with the spirit and you just step out and then you jump back in and you step out. What you usually do is, dun, 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 dun. you just start sliding away from the spirit. The spirit is going this way. You're going that way. So when it tells us to walk in the spirit, this is, this is important because we've got to let him choose our steps, our language, what we do and what we say. Because I've noticed where I think I'm going to stay in the spirit if I engage in this foolishness just for a minute, Lord. I'm just going to say this, and you know what happens? You start forgetting about that, and you just start drifting away. That's what happens to you. So we got to learn to stay in it. All right, so it says in verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's affairs. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So as you can see, when we suffer as Christians, that's the only reward. If you suffer as an evildoer, if you suffer as a gossiper, and then, you know, this is what we do. And I, I hate to like keep stopping, but I want to make this point. We go out and gossip about people and then word gets back and nobody likes you. And now, Lord, the whole world's persecuting me and everything that I'm going through. Oh, Lord, if you can just turn things around because these are evil people. Wait a minute. You said something about him. You said something about them. So he says, if you suffer as an evildoer, hey, man, you brought that on yourself. All you need to do is repent and make it right with me. But don't think that I'm going to defend you in your wrong. You know how many people, like the pimp that we were dealing with, and we were, you know, trying to help preach to him. He would pray and then go and do certain things. I pray for him. Then he would run off and do whatever, and then come back. I need to pray. Wait a minute. Are you trying to change your life? Have you repented before God? Do you want to do what's right? But you want God to defend you in your unrighteousness? I used to be this way. I remember at one time in Portland, just to give you an idea, I was real broke. I don't know what was up with me in my life at this time. I was trying to get it together. But I used to jump on the max without paying and pray to God, okay, that he would get me through to get to work without paying. Now, this, is what, this is what happened that was kind of funny, but it was true because God used an unbeliever to get to me with that. But I remember riding, oh, Lord, please don't let them see me. If they see my ticket, if they see my ticket, let it appear as the right date. You know, and all it, hey, look, I'm not trying to be funny, but this is how foolish 
you know, you can be and want God to um to help you. So one day I shared this story with a friend of mine, you know, Mary, that was um doing security too at the time. And when I told her this, she's an unbeliever. But she said, you know, um, and forgive me for what I'm going to say because I'm trying to use this in the right context without it appearing wrong. But she said, um, you do that with God? And I was like, yeah, I asked him. He's been blessing me. I haven't done whatever. And she said, you know, and she's a very honest woman. She said, he's probably telling you, look at you, you lying, cheating bastard. You know, that's what she was saying or whatever. And I mean, you know, bastard's not a curse, but I'm not going to use it in the content with what she said. But the point is that she said that, and I was like, you know, is that me? Because it, it made me change my whole concept. And when I began to pay, God began to bless. But he's not going to bless you while you're doing whatever you're doing. Right. But she was like, you know, you lying, cheating, whatever. And I just started thinking about that like, it's true. You know, how can I ask God to support me? And I'm a thief, you know, and I'm running around doing what I'm doing. So just wanted to bring that forward. We cannot ask God to help us out in evil matters. Yes. God wants us to come up higher exactly. and be righteous. Okay, so um, you got something to say? No, oh, okay. You know, so this is verse 17. Well, you, you probably did it too. Back in the day. I know what you're All right, so this is uh, verse 17. He says, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So, you know, if the if the righteous are just barely going to make it in, what will the end be for the ungodly and the sinner? And we've got to be careful with preaching the gospel because if you go to, I believe it's Romans chapter 10, it says, if there be not a preacher, how will the people hear? So God wants us to distribute his word and tell people the truth that they may find this life in Christ. And Lord... Mm -hmm. You know um, I'm not lying about what the person said. I don't know what context they used it. So, Lord, I just want to say, using that word that I just used, I ask you to forgive me if it was meant as a curse, but we know that that word is in this Bible, and this person is bringing it forth at the understanding that they could. So, Lord, forgive us, or forgive me, if I have offended you or transgressed in any way. So I just want to say with that, I love you. Let's just give our hearts and our minds to Christ that we may have the proper speech and no corrupt conversation, that our conversation will be seasoned with salt. That is a preservative that will help to preserve others. So we just want to say we love you, Lord. And I think Sarah's going to present something. Yep. Titus. It's just one chapter. It's right after uh, Titus. So 2 Timothy, Titus, and then Philemon. 
Philemon and verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to our beloved Apophia and Archippus, <laughs> our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and towards all sinners and towards all saints. So real quick, I just wanted to uh, talk about Philemon and what his name actually means. And his name means um, to kiss or to be like full of love or joy. And so I just wanted to bring that up real quick. Verse 6, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. So what he's doing here is, is that, and everything that he's doing, and it kind of, I guess, ties in with tonight's message, but everything that Philemon is doing is he's effectual, he's showing job, love, the true joy of the Lord, because the saints are refreshed in what he does. And we know Paul is not someone who's just going to, Paul never tried to flatter anyone with his speech. So if he's saying this, if he's saying the brethren are refreshed by this individual's uh, praise and worship and, and preaching the truth, then it actually did happen. Verse 8, Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee, with, with, enjoin thee that which is convenient, Yet for love's sake, I rather beseech thee, being such as one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So I believe in this chapter here, Paul has already been in prison. And he's saying Paul the aged. So he's older here. He's saying this. But he's not saying it like, I'm Paul the aged and I'm weak. Maybe physically, but not spiritually. But he's conveying that. It's like we, all, we know that when Paul preached, he did it in... Uh, the true love of the gospel which was he wanted people to be saved but in the process of doing so they thought that Paul his words were of hard speech mm -hmm. like he was cold or he didn't care but that was not the truth mm -hmm. because he knew of what he was beforehand mm -hmm. so the second half when he was actually preaching the truth of the gospel he gave it to people mm -hmm. he let them know this is it you cannot do this and you can't do that you know, he's like, if you're married, you still have to fast and be separate and all that kind of stuff. He always preached the separation from the world, putting on the new man in Christ Jesus and leaving those former things behind. He always yeah. preached that. Mm -hmm. Verse 10, I beseech thee for my son, um, Onimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was, was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and me and to me, whom I have sent again. Thou therefore receive him that is mine own bowels, whom I have, whom I would have det detained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. So, um, Onimus, I guess that's how you say his name, was one of the individuals that when Paul was in prison, um, he was there and he, you know, helped him or ministered to him while he was in his bonds. But now Paul's saying, I'm sent him out to you. 
so that way he can actually edify with you. Mm-hmm. And that as a ministry should ring to us because mm-hmm. let's say we're all here together and we're worshiping and we're praising the Lord and everything's going great. But what if the Lord were to say, hey, Christina, I want you to go over here. Or, hey, Derek, I want you to go out here. Or even to me, he's like, I may want you to go here. It's not that the ministry ceases to be one, but it's for the edification of the gospel reaching. If we know what the gospel says and if we're always together, how does the gospel spread? So he may actually have us go in a different country. You know, like the disciples were rarely ever together Mm -hmm. because they knew the truth. They walked with Jesus Christ. There was only a couple of disciples that didn't, like Paul and Luke and and John Mark. But they still walked with him, maybe not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense, they did. And even when, you know, the other 12 were together after Jesus Christ ascended, what happened? He spread them out. No, no, I was just listening. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's why, you know, we always talk about this being a base camp because mm-hmm. this is all about getting it together to go out. This ain't about just staying here and doing whatever, you know. That's what any church should be. Exactly. Yeah. But without thy mind, what I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to, uh, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So even in a way, I think it was in uh, John 17 or 16, where it said that the disciples were no more servants, but he called them brothers. Friends. Friends, yes. Mm-hmm. So the same thing is here. Is like he's saying that this one individual is no more a servant, but now he is a brother or a friend to them that he actually may help them. Mm-hmm. So that's why he wanted uh, Paul wanted them to actually receive him in what they were doing, so that way he could uh, help them with in whatever necessity, like whatever you need done. I'm here for you. Paul mm-hmm. has sent me to do this, that the Lord will be glorified in this. Mm-hmm. Verse seventeen. If thou count me, therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If if he hath wronged thee or owed thee aught, put that one mine account. Put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me every, even thine own self besides. So Paul's saying here, if you would receive me this way, receive him as well. Because it's like he, it's like he trusts this individual with what he's saying, that he mm-hmm. sent him out because it was the Lord's will. Mm-hmm. The Lord's telling me, you got to go here. So if they don't receive you, say, hey, I, I came. This is what Paul told me. He trusts and believes in the Lord. And Paul's saying, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. And that's how we actually should be. You know, if the Lord says to somebody, hey, I want you to tell this person to go somewhere. If the Lord's sending us somewhere, hey, that is how it actually should be. We shouldn't be mad at that person for whatever because we trust the Lord. That's being accountable. Yeah. You know, not putting the blame on somebody else. Exactly. Gay brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience. I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Therefore salute Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, 
Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. So that's, what Amen. Yeah, that's awesome because he talked about fellow laborers. Exactly. And the guys that were out there doing it. And that's why we just want the Lord to just build us up, raise us up, so that we can go and glorify him. But like I said, this was probably... I know that these are the last days because the devil has found new things. Mm-hmm. Back then, the devil might have just had like a whorehouse or something to distract men or, you know, persecution. But today, man, we got entertainment at our fingertips. Yeah. And most of what we hear and, and get text from is corrupt speech. You know, think mm-hmm. idle words, things that have nothing to do with God. So the devil is playing in our psyche all day, every day, just to try and get us to be defiled. That's true. So, yeah. So, you know, let's pray. Who's going to pray? I'll pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, I want to come to you this day in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Lord God, I just want to thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for everything that you've done thank you lord god jesus christ almighty for your grace and your love and your mercy and your long suffering lord jesus christ and your patience upon us for we are all as like dumb sheep and we have gone astray but lord jesus you have found us fit vessels that you will live in us but lord god what it also takes is a willingness on our behalf on our part lord god to believe your scriptures and everything that is written in it yes lord We are not here to please man. We are not here to satisfy man, but you, Lord Jesus Christ, in what we do. And if you are speaking to each and every one of us today and those that are listening in, if there was something that was said today, Lord God, that pricked us in our spirit, that we will change, that we will change today, Lord Jesus Christ, and that we will repent of those things that we have said or that we have done in our past that do not glorify you, that do not speak to others and bringing them into the, the kingdom of heaven. Lord God, take those things away from us. Take any filthiness of mind and conversation away from us, Lord Jesus Christ. Even if it means it puts us on the outs with people. Lord God, we're going to stand before you one day and we're going to have to be accountable for everything that we have said and thought, whether it be of you or not. Thank you, Jesus. And if anything that we're doing today can keep us from entering into the kingdom of heaven, I pray, Lord God, that we get rid of it, that we put it behind us, that we put it out of us, Lord Jesus Christ, because you want us of a pure heart and of a pure conscience, that we can go out there, Lord Jesus Christ, and preach the truth of the gospel to others, that eventually we are going to be sanctified, Lord God, but we cannot enter sanctification with an unclean spirit, Lord God, that will not happen. And I'm praying, Lord God, that we get to that level of salvation with you, that when we go out there and we preach the gospel, Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just a word, but it is putting the power of Jesus Christ on display. And it's not for our own benefit. It's not for our glory. It is about you, Jesus Christ, being brought forth in these last days because we are living in the last days, Lord God. You have revealed it unto us. These are the times that we are living in. And we have got to wrap our minds around that, Lord God, that if you give us anything, a husband, a wife, or our children, that we give it back to you, Lord God, that it will be used. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God Almighty, for saving us, for cleaning us up, yes, Lord. and putting us back out into the battle, Lord God, because that is where the fight is at. The fight is not in, in a church building. The fight is not in a ministry. The fight is out there in the street. 
We have one enemy in this life, and that is Satan. And that is what we have to know, Lord Jesus Christ, that that is our enemy. And Lord God, I'm praying in the name of Jesus that you pour out a fresh, a heavy anointing upon our lives, Lord God, that wherever we go, wherever we are at, that we will preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to not have any regrets about it. Yes, Lord. So, Lord God, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you Jesus, for all your mighty works. That we continue to grow and build on our relationship with you. Yes, to bear fruit for you, Lord God, and to make disciples for you. you that you will get all the praise and glory and honor that you deserve. Yes, in Jesus Lord. Christ, your most holy name in I Jesus pray. Name Amen. Amen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.